Dear, dear listener, hi, this is John Dupuy. I want to ask a favor of you. If you like the podcast, uh, Deep Transformation, and you're getting a lot out of it, could you please help us by going to wherever you get your podcast, it's a Spotify or Apple or wherever it is, and write, write a review. That would really help us to get this out. We really believe in what we're doing, and we're really praying and hoping this is helping people and being part of the solution. So if you could do that, it would be greatly appreciated by Roger, myself, and our team. God bless. Thank you. Hey, friends, John Dupuy again, and I want to invite you to listen to conversation with my dear friend, Dr. Reverend Michael Clark. He is the principal of the Codrington Seminary in Barbados and a deeply spiritual man, someone who's had a great impact on my life. So I'm so happy to share him with you. Welcome to Deep Transformation, Self, Society, Spirit life-enhancing, paradigm-rattling conversations with cutting-edge thinkers, contemplatives, and activists with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. My distinct pleasure and honor to have Reverend Michael Clark with us today. And let me give you some background how we met and why we're having this conversation. It was some years ago. I don't remember, maybe about five years ago or so. Just about that. Yes. yes. Yeah. We were at a conference in Boulder. Yeah. It was an integral Christianity conference. I had my first original spiritual awakening or experience was when I was, I think it was 11 years old, 11 or 12. And I was reading the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount, and it just, boom, you know, I had one of those scales fall off of my eyes. God was everything and everywhere, and he was loved. And this guy, Jesus, had just turned me on to that fact, and I, I was just blown away. And I didn't know where to go. I didn't, I was a Catholic, I was raised Catholic, and I didn't feel any call to go talk to a priest because I never felt that kind of energy there. And Wandered and yandered, and it led me some some pretty interesting stories and decades, mind search for God, but that's where it started. So I also had some wounding around my Christian past. So I went to this conference hoping to bring the integral and the Christian together, and it was. And I've done a lot of healing along those lines, and I'm okay with Jesus at this point. <laughs> and he's okay with you too, John. It's <laughs> better. <laughs> anyway, I still have issues with some of his followers, if not a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a different story. <laughs> but Jesus, you know, Jesus is all right with me, as the song said. So, yeah, we had this conversation. And then sometime le- later, oh, by the way, Michael is the director. Is that your official title? Principal. Principal of the Codrington Seminary, which yeah. is the oldest seminary in the Western Hemisphere. And it's one of the oldest. <laughs> one of the old. Well, I always always say it's old. Anyway, I may be wrong, but thank you. Your humility is is coming through. (laughs) So you invited me at some point to to teach a course, and and I suggested a course on religion as practice. Right. I think we got lost in dogma a long time ago, and somehow we lost the whole point of it. And so we did. After that, you invited me to come talk in Barbados at your school. Rituals Symposium. Yeah. I stayed there for about a week. I was like the only white dude that I talked to in at least a week or so. Oh, God, was that refreshing. Really nice. And the people were, were just remarkable. And, and, and the students, they wear these traditional seminary robes. 
and I felt like I was on at a monastery up on a mountain. It was, it was at a monastery and uh, overlooking the ocean. Anyway, it was a very exalted experience for me. And I so appreciate that connection. And now that when we started talking about doing this, yours was one of the first names that, that came up to me, Michael. So maybe you can tell us a little about yourself and your spiritual journey. We'll just pop in as guided. Okay. Thanks for having me. It's really, really great opportunity to come and share with you. And like you said, we did go back some the five or six years. In terms of my own journey, I've been a cradle, what we would call Anglican in this neck of the woods. You would probably refer to it as the Episcopal Church, but there are there are sisters or brothers. And Barbados being a, a British colony for many years, up until the independence of 96-6, the Church of England slash Anglican Church would have been our main Christian expression down beside the world. So that's where I would have been for all my, my childhood and young adulthood, etc. And I think I had this call somewhere around about the early 80s to do a little bit more than, than just be an attendant of worship. So it was around that time that I decided to test my vocation for ministry. So I too attended the same college back from 81 to 84. That's my vocation. And I was ordained priest in 84. It was an interesting time for me because I think there was a lot of transitioning going on in my life at the same time. I left Barbados roughly around 80, 80, 80, 89, 89 going into 90 because I felt that there was something else I needed to explore. And so I went to Toronto School of Theology where I read for my doctor of ministry. And the area that I chose was looking at the Black experience in the Anglican Church in the island of Barbados. It is interesting how when you're in a culture, there are certain things that you don't consider, but the minute you go outside of the culture, it becomes become very important. And I remember being, being a, we went for this orientation at Niagara Falls, a convent there in Niagara Falls in Canada. And I remember we were requested to, everybody was required to make some kind of presentation about who you are who you are as you come into this program. So there were eight of us, and each day one of us would get the opportunity to, to make such a presentation. And I recall very distinctly, you know, sitting in my room a couple of nights before it was my turn, I'm thinking, well, what do I talk about? What, you know, what, what would I say about myself? And strangely enough, by the time the day came, I realized that I had this focus of myself as the result of the British imperialism, almost non-existent African heritage and a Caribbean experience. And so that's why I presented. And as I presented, I came to realize how deeply rooted that experience was for me. And it was almost like an aha moment that you were immersed in a culture. And like you made a comment a few moments ago when you said you, were, you didn't have another white person to speak to. When you're, when you're immersed in a Black culture, for the most part, you don't really think about the culture itself. It's, it's, a, it's a given every day that you get the experience. But being in Canada, then all of a sudden, began to recognize that this is a unique experience. As a matter of fact, I remember reflecting at when I was asked to make a presentation to one of the, to the Etobicoke Board of Education, their inaugural meeting, about my experience as a student in Canada. I remember saying that since 1984, I was ordained as a priest. It was only since I came to Canada that I no longer consider myself an Anglican priest, but all of a sudden I discovered that I was a Black priest. And I, I never considered myself as a Black priest 
before it never occurred to me. I was an Anglican priest. I was not a Catholic. I was not a Pentecostal. I was Anglican. But within the context of Canada and their own multicultural issues and, and struggles, I found myself becoming a Black priest and speaking from that perspective. So that was one of my, my milestones. Came out of Barbados. And somewhere between 98 and 99, I had this religious experience. Didn't meet Jesus as such, but I think I've already met him. But we were involved in a, in a particular week of activities. There was this Methodist slave preacher who had a very powerful ministry of healing. I thought, I remember being in charge of this congregation and I came over to do a service for us and I was, I was there in the service and the members of the congregation were looking a little reluctant to, to go up for him to pray. And I said, well, you know, perhaps they're waiting for the priest to go up so that the feel is okay. So I went up and it was a phenomenal experience. Tremendous consciousness shift for me. So much so that I think I spent the rest of the night on the internet searching, what does this mean? What is this all about? And that was followed by many long conversations with him, looking at the whole power of the divine in the world. One of the things I think that, that since then, and perhaps a little bit before that, but even more so since then, that has really constantly occurred to me is a simple statement Jesus made, reported to have made, when he makes the when the point is made that, you know, greater things will you do than these. And I've always been concerned about that because somehow you get the impression that there was the intention for the human family beyond the Jesus tradition, the Jesus experience, the Jesus period. You get the impression that there was an expectation that the human race was going to climb up on the Jesus experience as a platform, as a new platform, and begin to go higher. And I think instead what what we ended up doing, becoming an institutional church, is that we took the Jesus platform, and rather than standing on it and going higher, I think we elevated it and, and, and made it the highest possible thing that one could ever imagine, and left it in the realm of imagination. And no, the, so the majesty and the divinity of the Christ was was overemphasized as opposed to the incarnational nature of the individual, indicating what humanity has called has been called to become. So with that experience that that evening in back in nineteen ninety eight. Michael Michael, can I ask you to unpack a little I mean, there's a couple of things, a lot of things, but what was that experience? You said it was very powerful. What exactly was the nature of that? Well it was an interesting thing. Uh, so if you could imagine you know, it's normal service. We had this normal service. The, the lay preacher was there. He was preaching. It was, it was not an earth-shattering message. It was a pretty simple message. And following the, the sermon, he just said, basically, um, I'm going to have a time of prayer now. And if anyone wants to come for the word of prayer, please just come up. We're going to sing some hymns, some traditional hymns. So we were singing, so we were singing these hymns. And one or two persons were going up. They stand and got prayed for. But then I realized that it was this lull. So I said, I looked around and I said to myself, well, perhaps persons are, because it's not something that's, that's familiar within Anglicanism. It's not something that we do in general. So I figured, and the, the thing about the Anglican church is it's relatively pre-centered. So if the priest says it's okay, then it's okay. <laughs> so I figured, well, maybe I needed to give a nod, as it were. And the best way to give a nod in this context would be to, to myself, just go up for prayer and think there's nothing wrong with getting some prayer. So that's what I did. So we were standing in this line and the in the middle of the aisle and the preacher from the Methodist Church, he was standing by the altar rail and he was praying with some person. 
I was about six persons down from him. So it was like another six person before my turn would be there. And he kind of looked around the person that he was praying for. And he saw me and he said from there, release him. Those were the only two words I heard. And then I was on the floor, completely on the floor of the church, wondering what just happened. What just happened, right? Michael, what were the words he said? I didn't catch them. Release him. Ah. Hmm. Release him. That's all. I could have understood something like that if you were in front of the person, person, you know, there was a physical contact, etc. But which itself would have been interesting. But that was even more earth shattering to think that I was so far away and that's what happened. And it is not that that's what I was expecting and therefore I was prepped for it and getting ready and ready to go you know, fall when the time came. It was the last thing in my mind. So that for me was really earth-shattering because I, I recognized in there in that moment that there was another dimension to this thing that we do call religious response. It is okay to talk about the doctrines. It is okay to talk about the various belief systems and accept the various belief systems. But there's another dimension and it's, it's a very powerful dimension. And I guess it is the dimension that the early church would have experienced falling into the Pentecost, etc. Which in reality, the church as a religious group has not really pursued as such. And it's more, I think the church has probably overtaken in the ages, 12th century and thereabouts by, by all the philosophy that was going on around the place and the dogmas and trying to defend this dogma versus the other dogma. And I think a lot of that spiritual tradition, that powerful spiritual tradition, got lost in there somewhere. And so the church and clergy priests became more administrators than, than actual spiritual leaders, guides, etc. So that was, I don't know if that, that helps, but that's the sort of idea that I was experiencing. That's not idea, that's the sort of, that's the experience that I was having that caused me to, to use the term that it was, it was, it was earth shattering. Really. So you felt, you felt like, like a Pentecost type experience, you felt. Yeah, that, yes, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, present. I guess depending. I guess depending on what faith tradition. I've come to a point now that I could re- I could say that depending on what faith tradition you're holding, it probably termed differently. Sure. But for me, using a Christian lens, it would be a Pentecost experience. And you were already a priest when this happened. Oh yes, for a very long time. That would be about. 14 years brief, wow. 14 years. And I think that was that was one of the, the, the things for me, to help you to realize there was another path that travels parallel to the philosophical, doctrinal path, the priestly craft. And it's, it's that other side that I believe Jesus and other faith tradition leaders would have, would have sought to bring on board as individuals, you know, journeyed in their own faith traditions to recognize that there was, a, there was also that access the divine power, the divine authority. That sounds such an important recognition, not just for yourself, but for uh, the tradition and institution, because I also was raised an Anglican, and it has felt, you know, as one of my great interests, I'm a, my day job is as a professor of psychiatry and philosophy, and also hold a, hold a position in the Institute of Religious Studies, but, or the program in religious studies, but it seems seems to me that it is a natural tendency as traditions age for them to 
become more divorced from the direct spiritual experiences and the practices which can induce them and uh, more turn into concepts and, as you said, dogma and, uh, and philosophy, etc. And it's so easy for the, the living spirit uh, or the direct transmission or the actual practices which can introduce the experiences analogous to the ones that the great founders and saints and sages of the tradition have realized for themselves. And and yet it seems that perhaps one from one perspective, that's the most valuable gift that a tradition can give is to re, is to provide access to the direct experience. So it sounds like that was part of what you recognized in that moment. Does that sound right? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I think what has happened to us, especially in the West, is that we have tended to focus our attention more on the externals. And if you bring science in there, the focus tends more so to be the objective. You know, what can we repeat it? So if, if the whole the whole subjective dimension is, is kind of, you know, it's, it's neither here nor there, but, if, you know, can we put seven people in a room and get them to have the same experience and write it down? And if they couldn't do that, well, then it's kind of, you know, we should, so we tend to, to focus on the philosophical, that which we can write down. We can write our arguments out and people can look at them and pull them apart and we can defend them, etc. That's great. And I think that's where the whole thing went. That's where the, the, the emphasis went. But in terms of the fellow who goes and locks himself away in a cave or something like that, you know, at the end of the day, that's his experience. And there's no way to prove whether he had it or didn't have it or what it was about, etc. So I think coming through the ages, that kind of experience, well, that's, that's okay. We can, you know, there'll, there'll be the other person who might be an anchorite or maybe this person who have wonderful experience. That's great. That's wonderful. But that's not really the bulk of the focus. That's not really the ordinary person can get involved. And then the other thing too that I must admit, is the whole area of control, right? We tend to live in a world that seeks to control. I can't control a person having a personal experience. <laughs> right? I can control persons that I can tell them what they're supposed to do and feel and do whatever. But when you're talking going around with personal experience of divine direct direct experience, then there's no role for me in there. It's between individual and the, the divine. And I think that that's been a, that's been an area that for obvious reasons as an institution, because you know, we can't forget the path and the path of the institution of the one of the church is in control. The church will determine whether you go up or go down. The church will determine your eternal journey. So with that kind of mindset, then then the authority has to rest externally as opposed to internally. But we have come into a place now where, where there's a shift. There's a phenomenal shift away from that. And so the institutions are not having that kind of power. I mean, hardly any of the institutions still seem to have the kind of authority that they had because a lot of the institutions were backed by the church itself and ratified by the church. So if you broke the institutional law, you broke the church law, and if you broke the church law, then you broke your chances to get into the suite by and by. So a lot of it has been wrapped up in that, especially in the West, and I can only speak to a large extent for the West. But there's that whole thing of the objective versus the versus the subjective and the ability to control. And if you're going to control you need to be able to be dealing with the objective, that which is shared by everybody. How did that experience, Michael, change your ministry and your life? I mean, what was different from, from that point? Well, what was different for me, then I, I found myself focusing tremendously on, on the whole area of spirituality, right? And it was interesting because 
and and been all through my theological studies, and yes, you'll be told, well, you know, saying this or saying that, and you know, you read a saint or you read another saint, but you heard about the lives of the individual, but the actual involvement and experience of the individual was a different story altogether, which one never really went into. So my my interest then became how do you lift up this thing called spirituality? How do you cause it to be a central part of the religious response? When in in fact, it actually is the core of the religious response. You wonder, how can you even perceive a religion without focus on spirituality? Now, within the Anglican tradition, we tend to talk about prayer, but spirituality. And I think that's, that's our in-between point, because you have this text, the Book of Common Prayer, and the Book of Common Prayer then acts as the intermediary between you and the divine. So it is you, you have this set of prayers that you do, and the more you do them, the the more you're in touch with your spirituality, but it is still a it's still an external spirituality to a large extent, not in the same manner as if you start going into contemplative prayer and that kind of avenue where there is an intentional inner journey that one takes. So how do you how do you awaken this and and make this happen for for your flock, if you will? And you're you're a man of you know. In quite a bit of authority in the church now and knowing what you know. Well, the thing that I've tried to do wherever possible, even before I went to Codrington, when I, I had my, my initial experiences, I was at the time director of youth ministry. And one of the first things that I did was I, I took, I used to have this series of retreats and I, I got the same guy that I had, had experience with. I got him to, to lead a retreat, which was a very interesting retreat because we were having these, these quarterly retreats. I mean, we would normally have about, about 15 to 20 persons at, at these retreats. But on this particular occasion, when, when he was coming and, and nobody knew he was coming, I just, it was just a standard retreat, one of our things. We had 80 persons signed up for the retreat in a facility that could only hold about 60 comfortably. And so it was a very interesting time for us. And what was powerful was that virtually every single one of those 80 persons on that retreat had a similar experience, had an earth-shattering experience. And it was a little it was a little troublesome, though, at the end of it, because some of them went back and they told their parish priests what they'd experienced. And many of the par- and some of the parish priests that they spoke to said to them, well, you know, that's not real, that's not true, that's not, you know, that's, <laughs> that's not what's supposed to happen. So then I felt badly because then you were here with these youngsters that had this personal encounter and the individuals that they trusted for guidance, they were saying to them, no, that was not what's supposed to happen. So it was this cognitive dissonance going on inside. They knew what they knew. They knew what they experienced. But the place that they would expect to be welcome and to be reinforced, that place was saying, mm, no, 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 no. I don't know what Dr. Michael is up to, but that's not it. Which doesn't really sound surprising, given that no. you know one of the things we know is that if you don't have these experiences yourself, then then they just are meaningless or even more commonly misinterpreted as either pathology or some sort of spiritual disorder of some kind. Yes, exactly. And I think that that is that has been also the one of the reasons why, you know, in, in talking to John and looking at his because I remember exploring the whole idea of brain entrainment and looking at meditation and going down because my background is science, and I figured that one of the ways I probably needed to sort of address this was also to 
to see if there was a way that science spoke to it as well. Not that if science didn't speak, it would have discounted what I, what I had experienced because my experience was my experience. But I just thought, that given, given the world in which we live, it would have been interesting if, the, if science had sort of avenues that began to explore these things. So between the whole brain entrainment and John's work and, and even Ken Wilber's work in integral theory and looking at the whole development of consciousness, you know, all that came at a time when I could, I could embrace it and understand it and use it in a very intentional way to be able to bring some measure of, of connectivity with those who are so far removed from it. But if you can bring that, that experience a little closer by saying, well, here are some methodologies that can perhaps lead to an awakening sort of thing. <laughs> so it sounds like you you were looking for the for elements which could first legitimate legitimate and then explicate or or give a context for and then a practice so you so you look to the scientific literature and fortunately now for this stage for the first time in history we have an enormous literature on for example meditation contemplative practices of various kinds etc so it's pretty easy these days to legitimate legitimate the value of these practices and numerous psychological and spiritual benefits. And then it sounds like the second thing you did was you looked for a conceptual framework to make sense of these practices yeah. and their, their effects, and you found them in various places, including Ken Wilber's integral theory, which is certainly the most comprehensive theory we have, so-called meta-theory we have at this, at this time. And it does provide, unlike most philosophies, a, and, and particularly philosophies which includes the science, room for the spiritual and even a, illuminate the spiritual in different ways, pointing to the various states of consciousness that can be induced or the development the, through stages of development. And then the third thing you're looking for, it sounds like, are actual practices whereby people can induce these experiences themselves. So it sounds as though you were looking for a a really a system or, or a way of a multidimensional framework for, for both containing and inducing these experiences in people. Does that sound right? Yeah, that's, that's perfectly correct. Because see, the thing is, you're trained in the system, right? If you're going to explore something else, then your whole thing and process is systematic. So the question is, okay, you can't just go off periphery in, in, on your own because you're, you're, you're still a part of, of an institution. And therefore, what I needed then was a system that could, as Ken would say, transcend and include that which I had already received, but recognize that with these experiences, that system that I had inherited was no longer satisfactory, was no longer enough. It was not, it was not a waste. It was not something to be disposed of. But at the same time, it was, it was, there was more. And that sense of the more has always been something that has, that has caught my attention, even before this particular experience. There, there, there is always that sense of the beyond. There is something beyond this. It is, anyway. And I guess the whole, the whole notion of being, having training in science, the whole notion of the evolutionary process, as is understood in the, in the best possible definition of that term, evolutionary process. And, and I'd love to hear you say more about the 
that more. <laughs> the, the way I heard it was like you're describing a call, a call to, to open to the more. And mm-hmm. that feels a very important pull or drive, which can just, over time, is just life transforming. I'd love to hear you say more about that. Well, yeah, and I, and I, you know, very terms like the luminous, and you always, there's a sense that, there's a sense that the, I have never been one that, that, that perceived of everything is already decided. Everything is already nailed down. My understanding always, just by looking at the world around and what's going on, there's always a sense that in every generation, every era, there is something that comes on the table. And it's a, it's a normal, natural process. It's the next step. So, so why, why if everything else in, in, in creation as we know it is expanding and there is this new understanding, there's new development going on, why would, why would that thing which is supposed to be undergirding it all, why would that be fossilized? Why would that be, why would the last statement to made, why would it be, why would it be that that statement has already been made? You know, as opposed to realizing that, you know, well, the last statement was made that was made that was made at that particular time in history and for that particular community. And as communities move beyond that, new statements will be made. I think one of the challenges that we might have had as a religious community is the misunderstanding of, of notion of the changeless God or God that doesn't change. I think there's been a misinterpretation of that terminology. For me, God is changeless. God does not change. I agree with that. But what changes is my understanding of the magnitude of that divine experience. That has to change because if that hasn't, hasn't changed, that would mean that God or got it all nailed down. And I don't. And I don't. None of us, even at this, at this junction or journey, has it all nailed down. So it is forever expanding. And, and that expansion, that expanding is, is our consciousness that is expanding. That's why I said that, that the, work of Ken Wilbur and the integral theory has been so helpful to me because that speaks volumes to that sense of the, the ever-expanding degree of consciousness. As I think it was Paul Smith who in his text Integral Spirituality, when he puts the integral theory with the church together and he runs the parallel of the development of consciousness with the development of, of various church, church modalities, it fits so perfectly. And you can see there that that sense of expansion and the becoming more and 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 you can also see the fear which is important you can see all the you can also see the fear of you know do we let go of this do we you know becoming too open or too loose or whatever so there's that wonderful tension even as you look at the expansion that that you're you're wondering is this 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 you know is this is this something we let go, or is this something we can redefine or reinterpret? And and once you begin to wrestle with those things, you begin to realize that yeah, there is the more, there is a there is a calling of the human person, the human self, to, to be more, to be more. And I, as I said, I refer to Jesus, you know, when he says, "Greater things will you do than when you know when the Spirit comes than than what I'm doing." So yes, there is that there's that calling forth, that calling out. For the individual, and Michael, do you feel like you're you're kind of a loner, you know, in in what you're teaching and what you're feeling in your experience with with other priests and with the churches, the Anglican church, as it now is well, constituted? These these kind of things, you're you're always loners, whether you want to be <laughs> or not. Mm-hmm. I, 
That's right. Because because you know the requirement, as I mentioned earlier, one of the requirements is that other individuals have these experiences. So when when those experiences are not necessarily present, then it's it's difficult it's difficult having those conversations. Um, and 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 if your if your mindset is on 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 the whole idea that it is all a done deal, then talk about expansion, then it's 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 a bit of a challenge. But over the years there have been individuals, laypersons and some clergy who are who are who themselves are in that, that place of discomfort that you can you can begin to have conversations with. But I think one of, one of the biggest challenges for me and that's why I've reached out a public agency yourself and other sectors. I have a member back in nineteen ninety Oh, in 1994, I reached out to James Finley and asked him to come in and do a retreat. And I think it's like 2000 and um, I think about 2012 or 13, I reached out to Cynthia Bourgeau to come in and do something for us. And then you came in and we had that spirituality symposium. And I mentioned this because being on an island that's 166 square miles and that it's been monocultural. As I said, it's, it's 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 a British colony, or it used to be a British colony. It never changed hands, so we don't even have you know the diversity of a strong Roman Catholic presence. It's it's predominantly an Anglican presence. So that that the 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 opportunity for for engagement in something beyond has not been there in general in the educational system, etc. So even in even as 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 we become more culturally sensitive. And persons begin to speak of their their ethnic roots and the whole African roots, etc. African culture again, that's in itself a challenge because you know it's, the island itself is so anglicized. Uh, even to try to recover some of that is is a bit of a challenge. Far less to, to go into, into this wider this wider context. So one of the things I find yourself having to do is to hop in on the, on a flight and trying to get. One or two of these places where you can have a first-hand experience of some of this kind of material, hence the um, the workshop that we, we met at. Then, which was interesting because that workshop took place over the weekend of Sunday, and and, and every good person should be at <laughs> should be resulted on Sunday. But I really wanted to be a part of that 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 uh, integral workshop, not the cage. So it is it is it is being able to make the connection and and the whole thing about this kind of journey is that you know the more you experience the more you understand the more you capture the more you want to share with with others you know whoever's willing to listen will will listen and whoever's ready for it will, will, will receive and and do you do you is centering prayer becoming something that's more commonly known and practiced it's 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 Moving slowly, it's moving slowly. I think one of the challenges that that something like centering prayer would have enormous is is again that that whole thing about the inner journey versus the external journey. And over the last oh maybe twenty plus years, the Pentecostal movement has been stronger in in the Caribbean region across the world actually, but especially the Caribbean region. So. So there is so so you're getting that you're getting that that talk about spiritual stuff and the power of the spirit, but a lot of it is 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 externally focused. So that that so it is praise and worship and that kind of external expression 
and being a Caribbean people that love to dance and love to enjoy music and stuff like that, that becomes a more attractive avenue than than contemplative prayer, than than than, than the inner stillness. So 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 that's so even though there is a there is a, a growing sensitivity to spirit and the working of spirit avenue, it's more the external avenue than the than, than the, the inner the inner journey. That's there's. I want to take you back to the first thing. Well, near near the beginning of this, you said when you were in Canada that you experienced yourself as a black priest. Mm-hmm. And before that, you had just been a priest. So, I mean, I kind of intellectually can grasp that, but it really touched my heart. So can you speak more to that and, and what that means to you then and what it means now? Well, yeah. Um, well, first of all, uh, you know, if you, if, you, if, you, if you came to a function, um, you would be identified as, you know, Reverend Father Michael is here, a priest from St. Thomas or whatever. But within the context of the African, the, the, the Canadian culture, it would be, well, we have a, we have a, we have a, we have a black priest now who's, who's up for the West Indies, right? Not we have an Anglican priest who's up for the West Indies, but we have a, we have a black priest who's up for the West Indies. And I remember on that occasion when I was, when I was making, when I was making that presentation to, the Tobacco Board of Education. After I finished, a Sikh came to me, all bedecked in his turban and everything, and he said to me, in what little English he could muster, you spoke for me today. Right? And when he said that, I realized that that it was not about, it was no longer about religion. It was about what is our experience coming into this this white culture. Right? Yeah, so so that that so so I guess what the point here is that as a young priest, probably ordained in the mid eighties, and this was now nineteen nineteen ninety one, you were getting used to becoming a priest. You're getting used to what it means to be a priest in a community, and all of a sudden you you're in a different community, and you you've got to shelve that 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 to some extent. Use it because it gave you access to certain to certain fora, but but but. It is not the priority it gets you through the door, but there's a there's a greater message that you need to deliver having gotten through the door. And that is that is the me- message of, of being person, of, of of calling persons to, to recognize. I remember at the time when I was up there, the late Romney Mosey, Dr. Romney Mosey, a Barbadian priest, but he was he was asked by the by the Anglican Church of Canada to do this this program, this study and then this project. Which came out as no longer strangers, and the whole thing was interviewing and having conversations with West Indian with West Indians who had who had come up from the West Indies as Anglicans, and what was their experience? <clears throat> I recall a Canadian citizen, a former West Indian citizen, who had moved from Barbados to England um, back in the fifties, and probably was part of that Windrush community. Um, and he was telling us that, that, you know, coming out of Barbados as a British colony and the fact that you have only known the Anglican Church, that first Sunday that you, that, that you experienced, the first thing you did was to go to church because that's what you would do. And you're all excited because everything is unfamiliar, but the only thing that's familiar is the Anglican Church because you're using the same hymn book, the same prayer book. And so that, so in this midst of, this unfamiliar, there is this familiarity. So you're excited and you're enjoying. And then at the end of the service to be told, well, 
it was good to have you, but don't come back next week. You know, there's a there's a Pentecostal church down the road which would be more in keeping with the church too. And that crushed a lot of West Indians who only knew Anglicanism and as a result left the Church of England or were pushed out of the Church of England and um and ended up in one of the other denominational groups. And the similar thing was happening in Canada. And that's why that was the whole thing about uh, No Longer Strangers, the whole, the whole project. I think they're still wrestling with it to a large extent. This day. Mm. Oh, a painful story. Yeah. Yes, that's that's part of the journey that, that that's out there. Mm. And, and I, I think it is. I think, you know, in my devotions this 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 week on, on my online devotions and I'm, I'm focusing on separation and trying to make the point that you know the if you live in a dualistic world or a world of duality um there is separation but the but the thing about the separation is that the separation provides a wonderful avenue for 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 unification or for appreciation and understanding so that you can you can then seek to rise higher so that you move out of the dualistic mindset and that you can you can you can see you can experience the oneness and, and begin to have the full value. But I think our world has done the opposite and is that wherever they've found separation, they have emphasized the separation, they have um, enhanced it or multiplied it. And when that happens to a certain degree, that's where you end up with wars and, and genocide, et cetera, et cetera. So, so it is and I think this is one that, for me this is one that large reasons there there is for a new spirituality, a spirituality that will help persons to understand this 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 oneness because we've we've done religion from a dualistic perspective. We've done religion from a separatist perspective without any kind of desire to unify or to make one. We've just we've just I've taken this in and I've gone that side, you take this one, you go that side, and we argue with each other who's right and who's wrong. If we go to war on that, missing the whole point, the whole point of, of, of unification. So so the whole spiritual, the, the, the minute you minute you're doing that, you can't be embodying in there any kind of spirituality. That's just religiosity. So for me, one of the important things here that spirituality does is it offers that 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 step upward, that higher place to stand. To, to, to view the world, which then allows for for the oneness, because what we consider oneness really isn't oneness. Sometimes it's just it's just making you me. For for example, you know, we you have the you have the masculine feminine duality, but many many regards, even though we've opened it, the door as Anglicans, for example, to the female priests, for example, you find that that you know. You're allowed, but you're allowed if you can be like the fellows, as opposed to recognizing full the full divine gift of the feminine to embrace and enhance the masculine. The same thing with with the enslaved. When 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 enslavement came to an end, you didn't you didn't you didn't say, well, here's a here's a here's an African experience, or here's here's a black experience, and let's let's see if you can find a new way of coming together. Which is which is neither this way or that way, but is is a way that is higher than that. No, instead we we re-educated the individuals, make them more in line with what was already in place by those in power, and then you try to go forward in that. And hence, 
the Black Lives Matter will, will, will forever be present because that unification or that that taking down of the you know white font, black font, white fountain, black fountain, white toilets, black toilet, that that taking down of those divides wasn't really a taking down. It was it was if you're gonna do anything, we're gonna we are the standard and we just we just you know bring you in as close as possible. So there will always be that sense of not being welcome, not being respected, not being acknowledged as full person. And and as Einstein said, you can't solve a problem on the same level of which was created. Hence why spirituality is so valuable, because if spirituality comes into play, then we can go higher up and we can look at the issues that we have in front of us from a higher perspective and be able to see greater commonalities and greater greater opportunities for unity or union. And do you find as a result of your a spiritual opening and practice that your understanding of of traditional icons or or dogmas has changed significantly for example i guess the the iconic one would be the very nature of jesus does that has that changed for you as a result of your experience very much so hold on a minute question it is very much so i think that i found myself focusing more in recent times on the incarnational nature of Jesus, the personhood of Jesus. Um, and and I, th- I think for me, the whole idea of, I've got a fuller understanding of that notion of the human and the divine. And, and by having that understanding, because, you know, you had, there was the God, we used to use terms like the God man, but using that term, it was still an attainable experience. But by looking at Jesus as the human and the divine, and then looking from spiritual perspective at the spiritual, that one writer says that you know, we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. Using that as a, as a, as a new way, a clearer way of defining the human, the human self, it then, it then causes you to re-examine this, this, this Jesus and, and, and see a spiritual being having a, having a human of a physical experience. And then one looks at oneself and one recognizes that one is a spiritual being having a physical experience. And then the whole idea of, of awakening, of the fact that, that this human experience causes us, in a sense, to fall asleep, as it were, as some, some put it. And, and the journey then is a journey of awakening. And if, if, if one is going to look at that, then and when one begins then to look at all of the Christian dogma, you can, you can see where dogma was kept at a level of basically the physical and not recognizing that all of it is there. All of it is there. You don't need to add anything to it. In many regards, it is, there's, there's a, just the need to reinterpret it or, or, or to look at it through a, a different lens and to be able to, and be able to see what a little more, because we won't be able to see everything yet, but to see a little bit more of what was always there. Yeah, and, cl- and clearly, capacity for seeing different, for holding and, and even seeing d- different perspectives is a function of, bo- of the range of our own experiences, but even more importantly, the depth of our own experiences right. and insights. And, and that also allows the recognition of, of our own greater potentials for spiritual awakening. And suddenly the, the chasm between the great great figures of religious history and uh, in our tradition, Jesus and the rest of us seems perhaps 
perhaps to some extent an artificial chasm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And the, the thing is that as you as you as you come to that awareness, I find that it causes you to, to recognize why the particular faith tradition might not have advanced as it could have. Yes. Because of that same chasm, right? Maybe individual or the individuals so removed from our everyday journey that is like, you know, why bother to make all that kind of effort if, if that person is so high, you know, but just just hang around down here and, and, and enjoy life. But but if if it seems more attainable, then there's a greater there's a greater, you know, as human beings, we often try at what we think we can possibly attain. We hardly ever try at what is the impossible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there will be those among us that will do that. But for the vast majority, well, you know, if something is too high, why, why, why bother? Right? So, so that, that sense of creating that divide has been more problematic to the growth and development and becoming and the utilization of the experience of that incarnated mm-hmm. being. That's been more detrimental to the journey of those who followed than, than anything else. Really. Yes, and also that's very incongruent with with what we've learned in psychotherapy, that if the psychotherapist is portrayed or portrays themselves as having it all together, patients or clients don't do so well. But if the therapist portrays themselves, yeah, I'm human too. I I recognize that problem here. Here's how I worked with it. Patients do it just a lot better. And to put it in extreme terms, we have extreme views of Jesus as the, the unique son of God or are all the children of God and Jesus is someone who awoke to their full potentials, for example, as portrayed in some of the Gnostic Gospels. I, I'm a fan of Elaine Pagel's book, The Gnostic Gospels. So, so you have those two extremes. And as you say, one is a much more, one is, they're, they're both inspiring, but one of them perhaps is more inspiring in the sense of, okay, this is an inspiration for the rest of us to, to at least move towards our potentials. Perhaps we'll never be as great as this was incarnated in Jesus, but still there is that possibility of it, that kind of inspiration too. It sounds like that your experience and practice have shifted you towards that. Yeah, and you know, as I said, look at it, words of Jesus and it. Always hear this, this inclusive tone that suggests that, you know, this is something, you know, for example, you know, you come down the hill, like the disciples are trying to heal a youngster and having difficulty. What, what can we do? He said, well, you need to dig a, little bit, dig a little bit more deeply for this particular one. In other words, he doesn't say, well, you know, no, you guys can't do this. You know, he's always saying, well, this is what's necessary. So there's always that sense of, you know, you can do it, you know, if you give it, if you do the right thing, if you do the, if you do the work, if you do the work, if you if you have the faith, if you if you deepen the faith experience, yes, it's possible. And I think that's that's a much more much more powerful message yeah. for the world, especially at this time. That we all can go higher. We all can go higher, and we all must go higher because that's that's what we're here for. Well, yeah. Somebody once said that God has no grandchildren. In other words, we all have to have this experience ourselves. And the Gospel of uh, Thomas, which I I don't pretend to understand it all, but I get a lot out of it every time I approach it. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you, as we know from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And But he also says, he goes on to say, and the kingdom of God is without you. So I think that that realization, we find God in incarnated in the lowliest of the lowly, right? And that, and that experience resacralizes the world. 
You know, it's all holy again. In all the insanity and all the un- injustice and all the horrible stuff that's going on, something yeah. is very sacred and something very holy is there if we can see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, Master. Beautiful. Beautiful. Mike, Michael, is there anything else? Anything you'd like to say? We've been quizzing, <laughs> quizzing you and asking, but not at all. <laughs> well, I doubt that. But is there anything, anything you'd like to add? Uh, just the the because now, for example, I'm sharing pieces of the integrals. I have, I have this 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 um, I have this this radio program that I do on Sunday evenings, and basically, what I do is I find texts and I just share. Share, you know, a text. You know, I was done Richard Rohr and a couple of others. And right now, I'm sharing, I'm sharing Integral Spirituality by Paul Smith, mm-hmm. reading, reading a, a part of it every, every, every program. Um, and I'm finding that that you know, there is there is that that sense that individuals are listening for something. They they they're not sure what it is, but they are they are open for something and. The kind of responses I'm getting from persons that meet me from time to time on the street indicate that you know persons persons might be putting aside religion as we call it, but at the same time, and I guess we're all using the term now spiritual but not religious. And I think that that movement is is growing, and it doesn't have to, doesn't have to destroy religion. All religion needs to do is just take its take its its work back up. I mean, I remember Thomas Keaton sharing his his story about getting into contemplative prayer, etc. When all the young persons kept coming and knocking on the monastery door asking about some retreat and they, they said, we don't have a retreat. And it just happened to be some Buddhist temple down the road that was had this series of retreats. And it caused him to, to sort of investigate what's it was attracting these youngsters. And then when he went and did his work and dig it up, the, the whole Christian ethos, he began to see all of this work that was already there and that was practiced for centuries, but had just gone quiet and it wasn't a part of the, the, the everyday. And so a lot of his work then was to bring it back to the center. And I think that's what's necessary, that there are these various traditional traditions where avatars or spiritual leaders have brought a, a new way of seeing and it is almost as though in an effort to make it palatable or an effort to make it, to be able to do something with it, we've had to re- dumb it down to a large extent. And then we've peddled that as, as it. But it's all there. It is just that we're just using, I mean, it's like what we do in our brains. We can't make, we, we, everyone keeps telling us that we're only using less than a tenth of our brain power. And you wonder, what would the human person look like if we'd gone to 50%, you know? I never work with 100, just 50%. What would that look like? And I think that's the same thing for, I think this is all connected. I think all of this is connected. We operate on substanti- a substandard level in terms of the work that we here as human beings have been invited to do and have been placed here to do. And as science continues to open up new avenues and various doctrines that we have, we have moved away from as persons began, even the whole realm of psychotherapy and, and Persons having their death experiences and the way that whole area that has opened up as well, in that regard, that is bringing some other stuff to bear, is really opening up persons' minds as opposed to having this closed understanding of what what we've been told from the Middle Ages. I think all that is causing a significant shift to occur in our world at this time. Michael, do you, you know, 
a lot of times people that live outside of the United States are more aware of what's going on in the United States than Americans are than we are ourselves. But you're going through these really difficult times of God, culture wars and these online cults like QAnon and and a different things that are just and for the first time in my life, uh, I fear that for my country that we may not survive. It may just be ripped apart. You know, I I have that fear. So, where you're from, how are things? Are things pretty much? You know, the culture is hanging together. The people are hanging together. Or are you starting to feel these same kind of tensions? Well, well, there are there are shifts going on, but a lot of the shifts in the Caribbean region are more the communities beginning to to self-identify. I remember that the entire Caribbean would have been within the enslaved communities, and more and more persons are beginning to reflect on their own journey. Who are we, right? How did we get here? What is this all about? So their their religious component is also being looked at under that banner because when you find yourself in a situation where the religion that you might have held or that you would have been nurtured in was a religion that firmly supported and endorsed the enslavement of your ancestors. You begin to question that your faithfulness or allegiance to that religious persuasion. So that is beginning to loosen those persons who are beginning to reflect and beginning to think. That's beginning to loosen their connectedness with certain of the established religions. Those who are willing to step off, step out into the into the unknown, beginning to embrace some of the African traditional religions. And but in that loosening of the established religions, you're beginning to to see things emerge where where spirituality or the spiritualities beginning to become front and center, as it were. And then on top of all that, you have COVID hitting and children being closed. Uh, so therefore now persons are having to find other avenues and there more use of the internet, more reading going on. And there is that sense of taking ownership. And I think this is really new to the Caribbean perspective. Taking ownership of one's journey. That in itself, it's not just about religion, but it is general. Even here in Barbados, for example, we are about to move by the end of the year into the status of republic, right? We're moving from an independent nation to a republic. We're still a part of the Commonwealth, but we're moving into a republic to have a, a greater sense of our, our own self-reliance and the fact that we are a nation. So you, you're getting that kind of thinking that, that's going on in different places in the Caribbean. And as the older traditional ways no longer seem to be able to deliver or what they were supposed to deliver, they haven't delivered. Persons begin to say, well, okay, but well, let's look at this again. We, we need to find new ways being in the world. And, and a lot of that is happening. So it may not be to the extent that you might be experiencing it more, but, but here within the Caribbean, there's a shift in from just following the path blindly to say, well, okay, who are we? And uh, what does it mean to be me as a person, as an individual? Hmm. Yeah, I... I have a feeling just my experience here is that that the black church in America is a lot closer to Jesus than a lot of the stuff that's going on in the white churches. I don't know why, you know, it's, but evangelical religion becomes such a hateful thing in, and in so many ways, you know, with the advent of Trump and, and the fear and, and just promoting this stuff. I just don't understand it. I never, I never got Trump. You know, the narcissism, the bullying, the the obsession with power and nastiness and sexual, just awful assaultedness, and you know, didn't get it. I still don't get it. I try to wrap my head around it. I can in a larger intellectual framework, I suppose, but certainly not in my heart. And when I run into 
and, I, and I'm in uh, northern Louisiana now. It's a very, it's a Bible belt, you know, it's very religious. But I don't feel that energy when I hang out with black Christians. And in that moment, I don't have any problem calling myself a Christian again. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, brother, I got this, you know. And it's really painful for me. To, well, I love Jesus, but, you know, the rest of the stuff I can't really deal with. I was in a black seminary here, and there was a young man who happened to be white. And he went to the seminary. This guy had gone through drugs and prison, and he had had a born-again renewing experience. And he loved the seminary. And for whatever reasons, he uh, couldn't financially couldn't make it. So I said, well, let me help you, you know, get back in school. So I went there to school and I met the, some of the people who were instructors and teachers and my heart just, just opened up. These were, these were very precious people and, and, and Christian in the best sense of the word. So it'd be nice if we could bring, you know, Christian back into be not something hateful back to initial impulses to love God and to love one's neighbor as oneself. It's pretty good stuff. I don't know. I don't know why that is, but maybe we do better as Christians when we're oppressed. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the, you know, it, we seem to it seem to do well when we're not running things, and hopefully we can, you know, grow into responsibility and maintain relationship, living relationship with Jesus and, and Spirit, and bring that into whatever. Oh, and somebody, you know, they used to say power corrupts, you know, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Well, somebody said, and I, I agree with this more, is power reveals who you are. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily corrupt. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just shows who you are. And Michael, I saw that when, or I felt that when I was at your school at Codrington now. Yeah. I mean, I just think your, your influence, I mean, that's how I was experiencing has really been great for that school because even though you may not say some of these things to your students if they're not ready for it, but your energy and uh, your, I'm trying to find the right word, like a holiness, uh, spirituality seems to, seems to radiate or, or makes a difference there. And I hope that's, that's okay to say that, but, but that's all I was really inspired when you asked me to teach the course again, you know, like um, it was a big deal for me. So I appreciate that. Appreciate you doing it. Thanks very much. Yeah, and thank you, Michael, for taking the time to have this dialogue. And uh, yes, as John said, it is inspiring to think of someone who's who has both your institutional background and training and solid science training, and coupled with this this openness and the call of the more, plus the. Uh, the real spiritual episodes. So it's wonderful to, to think of that. And uh, thank you so much for being with us to share that. Well, thanks for the invitation. I was, I, I always said, seriously, that you, you, sometimes you don't know what it is you have inside until you have these opportunities to speak. speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that yeah. true? Hey, Michael, is your radio program available to the rest of us? Is it on you? Um, it should be. It is. It's, 100.7 FM Barbados. You can get it through the internet. CBC, Caribbean Broadcasting Corporation, 100.7 FM. What's the name of your program? Food for the Soul. Food for the Soul. <laughs> Great title. <laughs> when I was going to do it, this particular passage in Elijah uh, and Kings came to me, where, you know, Elijah's done his more carnal stuff and he's destroyed everyone and he's run off because Isabel has threatened to, to take his life. And he encounters the divine and hears these words, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. That's my phrase word. Get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. It's interesting. 
So, oh. yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for providing some food for the soul for us <laughs> and people. And uh, a delight to meet you. Thanks so much. Bless you, Michael. You're always a blessing to me. Appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye-bye. Today's episode was brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation Podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger, and the Deep Transformation team.